Well, at last, we celebrate today the Feast of Pentecost, the culmination of the entire Paschal season, um, the resurrection 50 days ago. Uh, was the dawning of the new day of life over death and the salvation that Jesus has won for us. But in a way, it's held in tension until this moment, the birthday of the church, when after Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father, then the third person of the Blessed Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is breathed out into the church. And there's this great manifestation we read in the Acts of the Apostles where uh, tongues like fire come down on the twelve, and um, the eleven, I should say, and Mary, and them praying in the upper room, and all of a sudden, the, the kind of symbolically, the doors are burst open, and the church is born into the world, and they are speaking in tongues, literally languages. Um, mysteriously, the people that are gathered in Jerusalem for this feast, which is a Jewish feast, Pentecost, um, hear them preaching of the kingdom of God in their own language, even though they're Parthians and Medes and Ethiopians and Egyptians, and all speak different dialects, they can hear this message as if in their own tongue. Fulfilling or upending this um, story in Genesis of the Tower of Babel when they all tried to build a tower up to heaven because they had one language and then their speech is confused and they all speak different languages and then they're scattered throughout the earth. The opposite movement of instead of man trying to be like God, God has come down to dwell among men and that unity that was ruptured, that harmony of the human race that was meant in the beginning is now restored in Christ. Um, It's what makes friendship with Jesus possible. It's what makes the church herself, the body of Jesus, all of us, her members, through the grace of the sacraments, why we can call down the Holy Spirit on bread and wine, for instance, or holy water, and to to feed and nourish and transform our our relationship with God. But even each of us individually, if you're baptized, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so you and Jesus are one. You can be his friend. It's not as if you're trying to imitate him or read the Gospels to like try to match your behavior to what he expects of you. It's that it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, Jesus says. And so what Paul, what Paul says in our second reading is that you have to live according to the Spirit. Now, each of us. And we have a choice at all times to either live according to the Spirit or what, call, what Paul calls the flesh. The Greek word that he uses is sarx, as opposed to soma. Soma means body, sarx means flesh, and it has this connotation of sinful flesh. It's not that Paul is saying your body is bad and to be a spiritual person you have to like float above your body. On the contrary, no, the, the harmony between body and soul is what's meant by life in the spirit. That, as Psalm 84 says, my heart and my flesh cry out and rejoice to the living God. That's what's meant in, in our sanctification, if you're living the spiritual life, your, your bodily impulses should be subordinated to your spiritual uh, self so that your body is not competing like, oh, I want, you know, whether it's lust or gluttony or, or whatever other passion. It's not that they're bad, it's that they've taken over and the fleshly person lets their flesh run the show. And the spiritual person is guided by the spirit. Because why? Because we're sinners, And even though the Holy Spirit's come, even though the fullness of time has arrived and we have Jesus now in the Spirit, in the sacraments, we still live in this tension between spirit and flesh. What the church is called concupiscence. That we we live in this tension where we can either choose life or choose death. And no matter which trajectory we're on, if we're on the path towards life, if we are purifying ourselves of sin, 
and living more faithful to Jesus each and every day, the flesh will still bite at us. If you've ever tried to go after Jesus with your whole heart, there's still this gnawing temptation or, or lack of freedom, this fear or mistrust of God that, that says, no, hold something back for yourself. It's the selfishness. And on the contrary, if you're heading towards death, if you've ever been at some point in your life just living a fleshly existence, having no, no, paying no attention to, to the Spirit and, and to God and what He wants for your life, the Spirit also bites at you, the good Spirit, and says it never, He never abandons you into that choice and will always be there at the moment that you decide, like, you know what? There's nothing here for me. If you've come to that point in your life and you You've repented and turned around. The Spirit is right there to lift you and put you back on the path to life. And so we live in this dynamic tension between death and life, flesh and the Spirit. Um, But we shouldn't think of it like there's this heresy called Pelagianism, where it basically says that uh, we are on for our own salvation. The Spirit will be here to help. You know, God will give us his grace when we need it. But really, you have to choose. It's up to you finally whether you choose life or death. We shouldn't think of it like that, as if the devil and the Holy Spirit are like two spectators to our spiritual life, and they're like, I wonder which one he's going to choose. You know, It's not that. What, is, what does Jesus say? Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't even choose life. You can't even choose to obey the Spirit without the Spirit's help. That's the mystery of divine grace. Or as St. John says, um, you belong to God, children, and you have conquered them, for the one who is, who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. In other words, it's not that the devil and the spirit are fighting to the death over your soul, and that they're two co-equal powers. That the spirit is like light, and the flesh is like dark. And as soon as the light is turned on, as soon as a candle is lit, that darkness flees. And so, these two rules of grace, two rules of the spirit that maybe could be our Pentecost lesson, is Wherever you are in the spiritual life, in that tensive dynamic between life and death, flesh and the spirit, if you're on the path to life and you feel the, uh, the, the temptations of the flesh, or if you're kind of not in a good way and the, and the spirit is, is biting you and, and calling you back into to a more authentic life, um, one is that you are never alone. We never fight this fight alone. It is the spirit who fights with us and in us. St. Paul says in Corinthians, no one can even say Jesus is Lord without the help of the Holy Spirit. Can you say Jesus is Lord? (laughs) Like if you wanted to right now. That's because the Holy Spirit is in you, he says. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Not a little bit or like, you know, God helps those who help themselves. You can do nothing. But everything good that you've done, every choice that you've made for life, even the choice to be here, to be on the path, the Spirit himself has done that in you. And so the second le- first lesson is you're never alone. Now that the Holy Spirit is here, now that Pentecost has happened, he's not going to abandon us. The Spirit is in the church. It's founded on Peter, the, the, the rock. The gates of hell will never prevail against it. The Spirit is here. We are never alone. And so, two, the Spirit is always victorious. The devil cannot win. The flesh cannot win. What Christ has accomplished in his own body, he is accomplishing now in his mystical body, the church, in you, in me. And so it's that confidence, that trust. Behold, your faith has saved you, he says to all these people with miraculous healings. It's, it's 
giving ourselves over to the Spirit to choose life and to, to let him inhabit our hearts, let him drive our impulses so that we can say, my flesh and my heart cry out to the living God.